I really want to encourage you that if you've been looking for a ministry to become involved with, that you would seriously pray about and consider Stephen ministry. As you can sense, it's a big commitment, but I think when we commit ourselves to big things, God uses us in big ways. Would you agree with that? And so I want to encourage you to consider being part of Stephen's ministry. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're kind of wrapping up a teaching series entitled My City. What will be happening next Sunday morning is we're going to have a story Sunday where people will be up front and they're going to be sharing their personal story about what it was like when God's story intersected their story and the life transformation that has happened. And so I'm excited for next Sunday morning and I want to encourage you to be here as well. As members of the City Church family, people that call City Church their home, again, they're going to be up here sharing their story. I know the last time we did one of these was back in late October, early November. How many of you were here for that God's Story Sunday? How many of you remember that? It was a powerful, profound time. So next Sunday morning, we're going to have people up front here that are going to be sharing their story. The message that I want to bring today is really the end of the My City teaching series where we have gone through what we would consider sort of the things that make My City or City Church what it is. And so we have dealt with several things. But before we jump in, I want to read a scripture to set the tone for this somewhat compact message that I'm going to bring to us today. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. You don't need to turn there, I'm just going to read it. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. It is God's intent that now through the church, His manifold wisdom should be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. But it's through the church that God's desire is that His wisdom would be made known to authorities and powers to anyone who would be able to see or hear. That's a humbling thought. It's humbling to be a pastor when you recognize that God's vision for His church is that His wisdom would literally be implemented in such a way that rulers and authorities in heavenly realms and earthly realms and the people around us would look at the church and go, oh my goodness, what wisdom is being found here and what wisdom is being put into practice? That's why I'm excited about Stephen's ministry. It's a ministry where the wisdom of God has been placed before people and they understand it and now they're going to walk it out. But ultimately, God's vision and view for the entire church, for my city, for City Church, is that His, His wisdom would literally be walked out to where people would be drawn to what they see. I believe we live in a world that's dying for wisdom. A wisdom that would make sense to them, but also a wisdom whose source is not in this world, but is from God. From God. Before I kind of jump into sort of going over where we've been over the last four weeks and then bringing a, a simple thought for us in closing, you know what has been amazing to me? I have a lot of friends around Charlottesville who are outside of faith. And I end up meeting with a lot of them just kind of one-on-one -on -one to talk about life. And what's amazing to me 
is what is so simple to me as a follower of Jesus is something that to these men, they've never heard before, number one. And number two, it takes a while to explain it to them. It's the wisdom of God. Literally the wisdom of God. I've met with some men even this year who were going to make life choices. They had planned on making life choices that just a cursory reading of the Bible would say, that will tank your life. Just a cursory reading. In fact, for the two people I'm thinking of, one of the Ten Commandments would be violated and broken. And when I met with them, I just began to talk to them about life. They uploaded their plan. And I shared with them the wisdom of God. And when we were done talking, here's what they said. You're the only person I've shared this with, what their plan was, that said to them, don't do that. Other people were just saying, well, if that's how you feel, go ahead and do it. But I could see the long tail from their decision that they were thinking about making and how it would be catastrophic to their kids and to their family and to generations that would follow them. You see, the wisdom of God is needed desperately. Desperately. But here's what I know. Wisdom is something you have to hear about needs to be explained. And God's goal for the church and for City Church is that His wisdom would be walked out practically in and through our lives in such a way where people would look at it and be drawn to it because the wisdom they've bought into is failing them in crumbling and I might add probably really isn't wisdom anyway. And so in looking at that, I just want to recap where we've been over the last four weeks. My city began with worship. Worship. When we looked at worship, I talked about the importance of daily worshiping God in our private lives. And how if worship's just something that happens on a Sunday morning, it won't be enough. Here's the other thing that we talked about was the idea of worship as warfare. We looked at an Old Testament Scripture where God, by His command, had the leader of the Israelite army put worshipers out front. And they worshipped as God's army moved into battle. And through worship, there was victory. And God did the battle for them. Worship is powerful. Worship is warfare. And here's another thing that I will tell you across the board. I did not mention this when I taught on worship. There are several similarities between churches that are truly making a difference and growing in any simple town or culture. One of those similarities are this, is this, where people enter into worship and worship is vibrant and alive. Vibrant and alive. I've had friends that I've invited to city and they've come here and they've experienced worship. And what they've said to me is, is when they come in, worship is alive and people are participating in worship. A couple of my friends said they've never seen that before. But I will tell you, it spoke to them about your faith in God. It was demonstrated through worship. 
One of the things that we're going to do as far as worship is we're going to have another worship and prayer night this coming Saturday night at City Church Central at 7 o'clock. It will be a time of communion, a time of prayer. The pastoral team will be there, and it'll be a focused ministry night. But the focus of it will be worship and prayer. It's essential. The next thing that we talked about is the idea of connect. The idea of connect, that relationship is the essence of life. Jesus was once confronted by some experts in the law, and they came up to Him and said, Jesus, which is the most important law? There were 613 laws by that time in the Jewish faith. And Jesus responded as to which law is the most important, or the most weighty, or the one that must be adhered to above all else. And Jesus' response was, love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was teaching that relationship is the most important thing in life. And it is. That's why here at City we have life groups so that you can connect with other people in their faith journey. That's why Stephen's ministry has happened. Now I just want to kind of give a quick shout out to my wife. Look, when you lead an organization, oftentimes your wife will give you input. Some of it from my wife is welcomed, some is not. It's my confession. But here's what I found. She's right more often than I would like to admit. For years, she has been badgering me about Stephen's ministry. She had heard about it. We get the mail at our house. She applied. They got mail. And literally for years, she would set those envelopes out on the kitchen table. Stephen ministry, Stephen ministry. And finally, after Gabe Moya was hired, I went to him. He doesn't know this, but to get her off my back, I said, Gabe, one of the things I would like you to do is do Stephen's ministry at City Church. And it was really selfish because I knew she'd be quiet and she'd quit bothering me and that Stephen ministry would happen because Gabe's a great leader. So it did. But listen, the reason why it will work and it makes sense is because Jesus teaches us that relationship truly is the essence of life. So we have life groups and we have women's, uh, the women's Bible study that's coming up on Monday nights where women get to know each other and the men's breakfast and different things and small groups that are happening. The idea is we are called to connect. Next is to serve. To serve. To serve at City Church. As we mention often, it takes 130 people a week to pull off what happens here at the pack on the weekends and with the youth group over at City Church Central while we're meeting here. But here's what I know. As more people serve, City Church reveals the wisdom of God. And, and what happens here at City becomes more and more effective as more and more people serve. The other thing we talked about with serving was this. You are to view your education if you're at college or in high school or in middle school. You are to view your job as a calling. It's not just something you show up and do from 9 to 5. It is the call of God that you work where you work, and when you feel called, you serve. You walk through the door called by God to serve wherever that is. Or if you're a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom. It's not just something we do, it's something we called, are called into, therefore we serve. 
And then last week we talked about the idea of giving. The idea of giving of our time and our talent and our treasure. And I encouraged people at the end of last week's message to get involved with fight night if you're married. We had a blast at City Church Central last night as we went through this fight night curriculum. How many of you might have been there last night? You know what? Listen. Here's the truth. I love UVA basketball. Don't take this the wrong way. Yeah, I didn't miss anything. Thank you. I found that out after I left fight night. But you know what? I love college sports. But there are times where we are called to put our time and our talent and our treasure behind things that matter. And one of those is marriage. It's marriage. And so last night, there were literally dozens and dozens of couples at City Church Central, and I loved the idea we learned how to fight fairly. I love that. Because a fair fight for me used to be when I won. (laughs) Found out that's not always the case. But it was a powerful night. Now what we're looking to next is on March 17th through the 19th, there's going to be a weekend to remember. And if you are married, I want you to legitimately pray about putting your time, your talent, and your treasure behind your marriage and going to that weekend. If you would like to go, get in touch with Pastor Gabe. He'll make sure all the information is available. It's also in your newsfeed this morning. And then last, we also talk about share. Next Sunday morning, People are going to be up front sharing their story and sharing God's story and what God has done in and through their story. It's a profound thing. So at City, we look at worship, connect, serve, give, and share and the importance of that. And here's what I know is that as each one of us implement these ideas into our hearts and lives as we follow Jesus and we serve others, then the wisdom of God will be made known in and through our lives. I know that to be true. Now, here's what I would love for all of us as the lead pastor at City. I want God's best for our church and your life. Both. I absolutely want God's best. In the midst of these five things that we've been looking at, I want, as much as you do, that the reality of God actually works in my life and works through my life and is empowered by the person of Jesus. But here's what I've found to be true about faith. It does take work. It does. It takes prioritizing my relationship with Jesus It takes thought, it takes self-awareness, it takes me examining my soul. I think oftentimes, though, the church in America is preaching something that's absolutely false. And it's almost as though we're taught, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus, and once you have, this whole thing just takes care of itself. It's not true. Otherwise, listen, the Newer Testament would be one sentence, and it would be over. And it would be this, except Jesus. That's not what the New New Testament says. That's the beginning of a journey that involves me applying myself into that journey. How often? I've heard messages where it's just kind of simple. Except Jesus, 
and then everything takes care of itself. It reminded me of something that I saw last night as I was kind of doing some final touch-ups on my message. I found something last night that was an advertisement that was on one of the Bible program websites that I utilize. And here's the advertisement that was there. (laughs) Doctors are shocked. There's a new biblical technique that burns fat overnight. Try this tonight. This newly discovered biblical technique hidden in the Bible secretly forces your body to burn belly fat overnight. Doctors all around the world are shocked because it doesn't work. I mean, they're shocked since this technique does not involve dieting, going to the gym, or taking any pills or supplements. I didn't even bother clicking on the tab. But you know what? That's kind of how faith in Jesus is sold to some. Look, you just say yes to Him, then you put your feet up and all the belly fat goes away. And you have incredible health. It's this hidden thing in the Bible that no one saw until this one guy looked at the verse and figured it all out. But for our focus as we move towards communion, I want to be real practical for us because I want God's best in your individual life as well as in our life corporately as a church family. You know something? There are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. 7,000. 7,000 where God says, here's a promise. But what you may not know is that almost all of the promises of God have a premise. And the premise is this. If you do this, God does that. If you do this, God does that. And those promises aren't just in the Older Testament. There are promises in the Newer Testament as well. But the promise has a premise. It does. And too often, again, some of the teachings that I've heard, it's almost as though God just gives you everything irrespective of your involvement in your faith journey. So now, as we move towards communion, there are three things from the Older Testament to the Newer Testament that involve the premise for every single promise in the Bible. There are three things, and I want you to know them. I want you to know them. Because here's why. The wisdom of God is made known through them. And the promises of God are engaged because of them. So I'm going to go through three of them. There's three. Kind of the trifecta. And if you can remember these and apply them to your life, I think you will be blessed by God. The first one, integrity. And some of you are going, oh no. (laughs) But what I want to say to you is this. The Bible's clear that if we live our lives with integrity, God blesses. He blesses. So many of the promises of God are right there, ready and waiting. And the adversary of our soul comes to try to tempt us. 
and to take whatever's in front of us into our own hands. Do you know every time you make a choice that's outside of integrity, what you're really saying is, God, I've got this. I'm good. I'm going to take it into my own control and I'm going to do it my way. Now listen, integrity is a fascinating thing. I looked it up. Here's what integrity, the definition is. Integrity, it's, the first one's the one that most of us are aware of. Integrity, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles and moral uprightness. That's what most of us think when we think about integrity. In other words, when you begin to say yes to Jesus and you begin to follow Him, the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of things in our lives where integrity is lacking. And we begin to move away from those as we follow Jesus and serve others. Things like lying or stealing or bearing false witness or maybe some of the other things that we just know that are not right. The neat thing about following Jesus is, though, is when you're convicted of your sin and what's wrong, the Holy Spirit is right there behind it to empower you to live your life differently. I love that. Not only does the Holy Spirit show up and say, I wouldn't do that, but the Holy Spirit empowers me to not do that. It's an amazing thing about following Jesus. But another definition of integrity is of more interest to me this morning. And it's this. Integrity, the state of being whole and undivided. The state of being whole and undivided. In other words, when you look at your soul, you don't sense a separation within yourself. You sense a wholeness. There's integrity. There are people in my life and a friend of mine who knows these people as well says when you get around them, they're just solid people. There's something about their soul where there isn't dissidence. It's like who they are is moving in a unified direction. These are people that have understood integrity is not just that you say no to certain things, but integrity in their soul where there's a unity inside these people, where they're not separated inside of them. Listen, some of us sitting here you sense dissidence in your soul. It's not that you've been out sinning. It's not that you've been lying or stealing on the job. It's just that when you look in your soul, you sense like you're kind of cut in half. There's not this sort of alignment or unity in the midst of who you are. That's the integrity that I'm talking about. Once you follow Jesus for a period of time, those sins should be taken care of. But... I think as followers of Jesus, there can be a lot of sideways energy. A lot of stuff that goes out of us that accomplishes almost nothing. But I believe in Jesus and through prayer that in this moment, when you think about being whole and undivided in your soul, that if that's you, you can take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you why that is. That type of integrity is of huge interest to me. It's huge. 
So again, it's not just that we're not stealing. It's there's this sense inside of us before Jesus that all that He's created me to be is coming together and there's unity and the dissidence is gone. Does that make sense to us? So the prayer would be is that if you're sitting here, you'd say, but Pete, my soul feels disconnected. My soul feels like I'm kind of half of two people. I believe if you ask the Holy Spirit, He will be faithful to show you why that is and how to see that be transformed in your life. So the first one is integrity. The Bible speaks that when we walk in integrity and wholeness before God, His blessing follows. The next one, humility. The first one is integrity. The second one is humility. Humility. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about humility. Here's what he says. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is, it is thinking of yourself less. Can I say that again? True humility is not thinking less of yourself. In other words, demeaning yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. James 4.10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Humble yourself. What fascinated me is I was looking at the idea of humility knowing this is one of the three pillars that allows God's fullness to be in our life and God's best to be in our life. We begin with the idea of integrity. Now we move to humility. Here's what I noticed. Here's what I noticed. More often than not, Humility is something that you do voluntarily before God. Tons of times. Here's what the Bible says. Humble yourself before God. Humble yourself. That's something you do before God by choice. There's a scripture that always freaked me out, even as a new follower of Jesus in my preteen years, and it's this God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't want to get up in the morning and say, Okay, God, you and I, we're going at it. God, you're my opponent. No one does that. But here's what I do know the Bible says we are called to humble ourselves. So I thought about, what does it look like for Pete Hartwig to humble himself before God? Because if God calls me to do that, that's part of having God's best in my life. How do I do it? First of all, I admit that God is God and I'm not. Now that may sound really revolutionary for some of us, but it's true. There's a sense where, as a follower of Jesus, I humble myself and I admit that God is God and I'm not. The next thing I admit is that without Jesus, I'm lost. I admit it. God's your God, and without Jesus, I'm lost. And then listen, third, give honest credit to God and to others. That's a huge way we humble ourselves. There are no self-made men anywhere listening to this message. None. Not one. I'm sure a woman just tried to clap. But there are no self-made men. 
It's an impossibility. There are others that helped you, mentored you, said the right thing at the right time. God put certain people into your life. God opened doors. God gave you the strength. God gave you the wisdom. And so for us to sit here and think we are self-made means that we must humble ourselves before God. Giving God His credit that He is due and giving credit to others. And here's the other way we humble ourselves before God. In the areas that I'm good at, I intentionally pray and ask God to help me. Most of us who are professionals can walk into a certain environment and we could do what needs to be done with our eyes closed. We've been at it long enough. We're well enough trained. We can see things. Even in those areas, praying and asking God to be with us. There shouldn't be any facet of my life where I'm not ready to humble myself before God. Can I tell you a confession? I've been the pastor of city almost 20 years, just a few months shy. I've had one bad board meeting in 20 years. One. You want to know why? We didn't pray. Sat down. We were late getting together. We had to meet at my house instead of where we normally met. Things were jumbled. And so we sat down, and I just really felt something going, you know, you ought to lead in prayer, but you know what? We're hurried. It's kind of, you know, and just pushed in. About five minutes into that meeting, I realized that the wheels, I can't tell you how many meetings I've chaired in my lifetime, countless. But you know what? Didn't pray, relying in my own strength. And so just pushed the pause button and said, you know something? We need to pray. And after we prayed, you could sense God's presence come into the room. Something that, hey, I felt like I could do in my own strength. Done it thousands of times. But God is God. And I'm not. Without Jesus, I'm lost. We give credit to God. We give credit to others. And even in the areas of our strength, we pray and we invite God in. The last one is generosity. Generosity. Generosity is something that, believe it or not, is the number one predicator of God's blessing when it comes to promises in the Bible. Of the three things that we've looked at, those three things, integrity, humility, and generosity, do you know generosity by far is the greatest thing that predicates God's promise in your life? By far. Generosity. Generosity, one friend of mine says, is love and action. It's when we're generous. And to think that that is one of the biggest premises in the Bible for God's blessing and the fulfillment of His promises was something I did not know before I studied for this message. Generosity. It's love and action. You know, I'll be honest. I think selfishness is killing our culture, killing us. We've been taught that we have rights, but if you would remember, those rights are given to us by God. That's what the writings say. So in the selfish world, it's my rights, my stuff, what is owed to me, this ought to be free or that ought to be free. But you know, I grew up in a home where we had to work for what we got. There were times where we had to work on our farm 
and we were paid five cents an hour. Exactly. It was pathetic. <laughs> and you know when I did something wrong, the first thing that would happen is I would be fined. I watched more nickels go out of that piggy bank than I ever saw go in. But we learned something. And it was this. That if you were going to get something, you had to work for it. Hard. I remember one time my dad sold me a car. And then I owed him the money. It was shocking to me. Because all of my friends got cars from their dads. And I said to my dad, you know dad, all my friends get free cars from their dads. And he said, you better thank God I'm, I'm your dad and not them. You're going to work for it. And you're going to pay me back with interest. I looked at my mom. Come on, mom. Back me here. And she said, I like interest, is what she said when I tried to get her back me. But you see, after working hard for something, you learn the value of it. And by the way, that makes you more generous, not less. Generosity is the premise that brings in more of God's promises than anything else in the Bible. It's more than integrity. It's more than humility. Generosity is the greatest one. Now, why aren't people generous, especially those who follow Jesus? First of all, it's a heart issue. Generosity is always an issue of the heart. Number two, though, is, please catch this, generosity is a belief that God is my supply and that He is limitless. That's what makes people generous. That God is my supply and that He is limitless. And I'm not just talking about finances at all. I'm talking about our time and our talent and our treasure. All three. Someone who's generous has learned something that it's a spiritual principle that's profound. And it's this. Here's the spiritual principle. If I am generous, God will use me to convey His goodness to others. He actually wants to use me. Is that not mind-blowing? That God would use me to be a conduit for His goodness to someone else. That to this day blows my mind. Proverbs 11 24 through 25 as we close. Here's what it says in the ESB. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The idea here is this is that generosity is something that we do because we know that God wants to use me to be His blessing to others. So whether it's with my time, my talent, or my tithe, God calls me to be a generous person because it's not just about me. He is my supply, always has been and always will be. Last week we talked about giving. I will never forget the first time I learned a giving principle. My oldest brother, his name is Fred. Fred was the first one among us to become a very serious follower of Jesus. 
I have two older brothers. He's the oldest. And my brother Fred became very serious about Jesus. He was working hard. Fred's a very, very hard worker. And he began to hear about giving and being give, to give generously and to give financially. And it was so amazing to me because he had a car that he was working on. He was working hard on the car and doing the mechanical work. And he was kind of souping up this car. It was a Chevy Nova. How many of you remember the Chevy Nova? And he was working on that thing and getting it ready. Do you want to know why? Because he was single and he wanted a girlfriend. So he was working on that car. And then he shared with me a principle of giving. He said, you know, Pete, God spoke to me about how much I'm supposed to give financially. He said, I didn't want to do it. So I put it into the car. He said, the car just broke down. And he said, you won't believe the bill to get it repaired. It's to the penny what God told me to give. And I remember being a young boy thinking two things. Please, Fred, get your car fixed because it's a, curl, a really cool car and I'm single as well. So please pay to get that thing fixed. But it also dawned on me that God was loving my brother enough to teach him a principle. And the principle was, is that if you're generous, God blesses. God blesses. But God loved my brother enough to give him that personal example that where my brother was being selfish, selfishness is dangerous. And again, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another one withholds what he or she should give and only suffers want. There are three things. Integrity, humility, and generosity. Integrity, humility, and generosity. These three things are the premise to every promise of God. Let's stand together as we close. As we move towards communion at this time, if you have not been served communion, would you please raise your hand? We have people that are prepared to give you the communion emblems. Just keep your hand raised really high so that they can see you. Again, they're going to be coming forward with the trays for communion. And as we prepare our hearts, I want us to think through these three things. Integrity. Jesus did what he said he would do. Jesus gave up his life. He followed through. He was a whole person. His soul was together. He knew God's call, and he walked it out. Integrity. Humility. The Bible says that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. Generosity. Generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus Christ is the personal example of integrity, humility, and generosity. As we follow Jesus and serve others, we are called to do the same. Would you take a moment as you hold the emblems in your hand, take just a moment to think through integrity, 
Humility. Generosity. How are you doing with these three things? I want you to take just a moment in God's presence and allow Him by the Holy Spirit to analyze your heart and your life. Take just a moment and then we'll take communion together. Integrity. Before God, do you sense that there's dissidence in your soul? Or do you sense that you're whole before God? As we prepare to take communion together, the Bible's very clear that Jesus took all of our sin, shame, fear, suffering, brokenness, dysfunction on the cross, all of it. And he sent the Holy Spirit upon his departure. I believe the Holy Spirit is present in this moment to reveal to you why your soul has dissidence if you sense that it does. I want to pray a blessing that God would reveal to you what's creating that for you. And then we're going to take the bread. Jesus, I want to thank you that the Bible teaches us that your body was broken, that we would be healed and made whole. I pray over each and every one of us in this auditorium in this moment that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us right now what it is that causes us in our souls to feel like we're split down the middle. So God, give us integrity, an integrity of wholeness, that the numbers in our lives add up, that things make sense in our souls. So Jesus, thank you that by your stripes we are healed. Heal our souls in this moment. Make us whole in your presence. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in, the, in Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Jesus, thank you for your broken body and the wholeness and the healing that it brings. Let's eat together. The Bible goes on to say that in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this cup, you eat this bread, you remember the Lord's death till he comes. As we hold the cup up before the Lord, let's thank him for his integrity, for his humility, and his generosity so that our sins would be eternally removed and atoned for through him. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. Thank you for the new covenant that's found in it and through it. And in this moment, we confess to you our needs in integrity, humility, and generosity. Thank you for what you have done for us. We would be lost without it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's drink together. We're going to take just a moment to worship together, and then I'll return to bring a blessing. Let's worship.
moment we humble ourselves into your presence we pray for an integrity that your spirit reveals to us we pray that you would make us a generous people that we would be people of your promises i thank you for city and all those that call city their home those that are here with us this morning and those that could not be i now pray this blessing may the lord keep us May the Lord smile upon us. May the Lord in the midst of our integrity and humility and generosity give us his blessing. And may he give us his peace, which the world cannot give and cannot take away. God bless you, and may the Lord keep you. Amen and amen. Let's take a moment to worship together. God bless you. Let's exit with worship in our hearts. If you need prayer or would like prayer, our prayer team will be down front. But let's worship together as we exit. Oh God, you are my
child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. No, no. I am a child of God.